Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. It is my great privilege to share with you a message from God's wonderful word today. And I am so excited. You better put your seatbelts on because this one's been building for a minute. Howdy to everybody watching or listening uh, online. I also want to remind you, if you'd like to follow along with the service, especially the outline of the message, it's available through the Bible app, or there's a printed version there in the back in the preaching box. Wow. It is, uh, we're almost two-thirds through, actually we are two-thirds through 2021. Can you believe it? And this year, our, our theme has been multiply. Let's look at Acts 6, verse 7, and read it together. It says that the, then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. How did the number of, multiply, uh, number of disciples multiply greatly? Through the what? The word of God. And all year long, our focus is to multiply the culture of Jesus through the words of Jesus. Again, how is it that the culture, the values of Jesus, his kingdom, how is it that it gets multiplied through his through his word? And so uh, this year we've been taking time to read word for word through the gospel of Mark, focusing on the words of Jesus. I don't have time and won't take the time to review, but we've learned so much in the first five chapters of Mark. And today we finally get to Mark chapter 6. So if you'd like, go in your Bibles or in your outline to Mark chapter 6. And I just want to say this uh, as we get started. Um, after today, we're going to go a little quicker um, with the remaining chapters of Mark because we really do want to finish uh, Mark before Christmas, right? I said that we're going to read through the entire gospel of Mark, which has 16 chapters by the end of the year. So we're going to take it a little faster after today. Is that okay? And just as we get ready to jump into today's word from Mark 6, I have a question for you. I want you to just think about it and ponder it for a second. Have you ever been amazed by something or someone, but then over time, you just kind of get so used to it that it doesn't really amaze you that much anymore? Maybe it's something or a person I can remember. I grew up in South Georgia. There are no mountains for hundreds of miles. I believe I was 11 or 12 years old the first time I ever saw a mountain. And I remember driving up to the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee and just... Awesome, right? Amazing. I couldn't stop. We were there for like a week. I just couldn't stop looking at the mountains. I'd never seen anything like that. Maybe that's happened with you. Uh, we have uh, many people that are... Um, not necessarily from this area. Do you remember the first time you ever saw the ocean? And I grew up near the ocean. And so I was just kind of familiarized with it and used to it. And then I moved away to the desert for 15 years. And when I came back and I saw the ocean again, it was like, wow, you just can't. Have you ever been to the beach and you just can't stop staring at the water? It's just so amazing. It's so awesome. Maybe this has happened with you, uh, uh, to you with a, like a musician or an athlete. You know, the first time you ever heard him play that guitar solo, it was like, you couldn't stop. Let replay, 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 right? You couldn't stop. You were just so amazed. Or maybe the first time you, you know, you, you ever saw um, your favorite athlete. I mean, who's your favorite athlete? Just think of your favorite athletes. I don't really care about sports. Okay. 
The first time they ever hit that grand slam or touchdown or made that three-pointer, and you just couldn't, you had to watch every game because you were just amazed at them. You had to see it. But then over time, you just kind of, I mean, yeah, Michael Jordan, you know. Okay. The majestic mountains, the clear blue ocean, the stars. Oh my gosh. It's hard to be in awe of the stars in Metro Atlanta, but you know, <laughs> get out a little bit and just look. I mean, but something happens when we just sort of forget how amazing things and people are. We just sort of get overly familiarized and used to it. And it no longer has the same effect on us anymore. With that, let's go to Mark chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. As we read through the Gospel of Mark, we're reading out of the Amplified uh, Translation. And for those of you that are tracing this, this is also found in Matthew 13 and Luke 4. Are you ready? Jesus left there. And came to his hometown, which was, all right, are we together? Jesus left there, who knows where, but he came to his hometown, where? Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who listened to him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things, this knowledge and spiritual insight? What is this wisdom, this confident understanding of the scripture that's been given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Is this not? The carpenter? Isn't this just the carpenter? The son of Mary? Mary's boy, right? The brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us too? And they were deeply offended by him. And their disapproval blinded them to the fact that he was God. He was anointed by God as the Messiah. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is, without, is not without honor or respect in his, own, in his hometown and among his other relatives. Sorry, a prophet is not without honor or respect except in his own hometown and among his own relatives and his own household. And he could, do, he could not do a miracle there at all <laughs> because of their unbelief except, I love this, like when Jesus couldn't do any miracles, he still healed the sick, right? Except lay his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He wondered at their unbelief, and he was going around in the villages teaching. Maybe you've heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. You ever heard that? Familiarity breeds contempt. When you get just so used to something that you no longer see it or respect it for what it is. You get to know someone, you get to know someone so well and you become so familiar with who and how that person is that you forget who it is maybe you know I don't know anybody in the house that may be friends with the president or anybody that's you know very important but you know I just think if I became friends with the president or a king or a big shot athlete or a wow musician and over time we became buddy buddies it would, there would be a tendency to forget that he's the president because he's my buddy. 
there could be a tendency to forget that that's the most amazing guitar player on the planet because he's my buddy. But let me tell you something. The people in Nazareth committed a grave error. They were very familiarized with Jesus so much to the point that they held him in contempt. They refused to recognize who he was because they thought they knew him so well. They failed to discern who Jesus was because they thought they knew him. Because they'd been around him so long. Come on, say, familiarity breeds contempt. You know, I've often asked myself, and maybe you have, and if you haven't, you'll notice something around the world. This has been my question. Why does Jesus move and do extraordinary, uh, extraordinary miracles in other places more and seemingly west, less in the west? I haven't preached in seven weeks. Give me a break. Okay. I mixed my words up like five times already. Why does it seem, why do we hear of all these miracles happening in other countries? And it seems like in the Western world, there seems to be less of that. Why? Why do I ask myself, why do, the, why do you, Holy Spirit, why do you like Asia and Africa more than you like the United States? And he said, I don't. It, hasn't, it doesn't have to do with God loving or wanting to pour his spirit out more one place than another. It has nothing to do with God's desire to bless or do miracles more in one place than in another. It has everything to do with our disposition. Where's the hunger? That's the better question. Not why are there more miracles in Cambodia than in the United States? No. Where's our hunger is the right question. Where's the faith? Where's the humility? Where's the repentance? Where's the fear of God? Where's the prayer and intercession that we see in a lot of these places? Where's the burden for lost souls? Where has our awe gone? The title of our message today is In Awe of Jesus. In Awe of Jesus. Revelation 3, 1 through 3 says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. By the way, that's Jesus. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are, in fact, dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions don't meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first when you were first amazed by Jesus. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected, as a thief. And I unfortunately feel like this is the reality of the United States, and I would say even more unfortunately, this is the reality a lot of times of the spirit-filled church. Say, so what are you saying, pastor? It's been too long since you preached. You got some weird ideas. 
a reputation for being alive, but even what we have that's almost le- that's left is almost dead. So many Bible translations. So much free information. So many flavors of churches so you can just shop around. So many podcasts. So much great anointed music of every style you can imagine. So many superstar preachers. None of this is bad in and of itself. But it does make it awfully easy to become overly familiar and complacent when it comes to Jesus. We've been so exposed to Jesus that we haven't been really exposed to Jesus. We have so much information about Jesus that maybe it's been a while since you encountered Jesus for real. Sometimes we know so much about Jesus, yet we don't know him really at all. I've heard the Holy Spirit say it to me this way. We used to burn for Jesus, but now many just believe in Jesus. When I read about the apostles and the disciples and those that follow Jesus, and I read about what God's doing around the world and the price Christians pay to be Christians, I see people who are on fire burning for him. Not just people who have consented to believe in him. And I ask myself that question. Am I burning for Jesus? Or do I just believe in him? Again, familiarity can breed contempt. And when I say familiarity, it's more of an over-familiarization. Because I don't know about you. But the more I become truly familiar with Jesus, the more I stand in awe of him. The more I really get to know him for who he is, it's not I become less amazed, I become more and more amazed at who he is. But how? How can we? Unfortunately, our, our, our thoughtless, careless familiarity with Jesus has led many to lose their awe and fear of God. We've got to remember. We've got to recover our awe. We've got to recover our amazement of the one who is God in the flesh. All I can do is tell you how I intentionally keep my awe. And I hope it'll help you today. Would you like to know how to keep your awe? Not only keep it, but grow it. I got born again when I was 15 years old. I accepted Jesus when I was five. I really got born again because I repented when I was 15. And I can tell you, I am more 
in awe and amazed and have more respect and fear of God today than I did then. Because I see him clearly more and more. Do you want to keep a clear view of Jesus? That's the only way. The only way to never grow too familiarized and complacent is to constantly take a fresh look at who he is. And I'm going to share what I'm going to share with you today. This is something I do on a daily basis. It's the very first thing I do every single morning of my life. I take time to remember and declare who he is. And it's kept me in awe of him. There's so much more, but today I want to focus on three. Do you want to know who Jesus is today? Come on, who wants to know who Jesus is today? I'm going to give you three, and I'm going to go pretty quick, quickly with these because there's a lot of scriptures, because the scriptures talk for themselves, right? Are you ready? Come on, say, he is the word. He is the lamb, and he is the king. Number one, Jesus is the word. Everybody say, he came. Who came? God came. God himself literally came and showed us who he is. John chapter one, I'm gonna read through several verses here, starting in verse one. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was? The word was a part of God. No, the word was God, just like your word is you. His word is him, right? God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. I'm going to read that again. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. Another translation says the world failed to recognize him. So the word, 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 the word that revealed who he was. But all this time, the word had failed to recognize who he was. So we would have no excuse. The word took on flesh and said, hello, I'm right here. No more excuses. You're looking at him. It says the word became human or took on human flesh and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We've seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself, God, is near to the father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Jesus Christ is the eternal word of God. He's the eternal word of God. The word who is God himself took upon human flesh and appeared in the earth as the perfect and complete beyond the shadow of a doubt, 100% expression of God. What does God look like? He looks like the word made flesh. He looks like Jesus Colossians 1.15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Say, I don't, know what God lo- I don't know what God is like. Yes, you do. Look at Christ. He is the visible image of the one who's invisible. 
He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Do you know there's things you can't see? Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before everything, anything else, and holds all creation together. Rather you believe in him or not, he's literally holding you together. We exist because he said so. And we're still alive and breathing because he said so. It says he's the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus said God is spirit. If we want to worship him, it's got to be in spirit and in truth. But God didn't leave us just with, well, I don't know what he's like. He's a spirit. He's, Jesus came to be the visible representation so we could see with our eyes what God looks like. He wanted us to see him. Hebrews 1, 3 in the Amplified says, The Son is the radiance and only expression of the glory of our awesome God. Reflecting God's Shekinah glory, the light being, the brilliant light of the divine, and the exact representation and perfect imprint of his Father's essence. And upholding and maintaining and propelling all things, the entire physical and spiritual universe... By his powerful word, carrying the universe along to its predetermined goal. When he, himself, and no other, by offering himself on a cross as a sacrifice for sin, accomplished purification from sins and established our freedom from guilt, he sat down, revealing his completed work at the right hand of the majesty on high, revealing his divine authority. He is, Jesus is, the express image of God the Father. You know, I used to wonder why Jesus was called the Son of God, as if God had a son. But we have to understand why he's called the Son of God. He's called the Son of God, not because God had a baby. Okay? But because God himself took on human flesh. That's why Jesus referred to himself as the son of man. Did you get that? We know him as the son of God, right? We know him as the son of God, but Jesus called himself the son of man. Why? That literally means God as a man. Okay, God revealed as a man. Okay, we don't, Jesus isn't the son of God because God decided let's have a baby. Okay, son of God, son of man refers to the fact that he was born into the earth. Right? If you have a baby, assuming it's male, you call him a Son. So Jesus is called the Son of God, not because God produced him as a baby as if he were less than or second to God the Father. No, he's actually equal to God the Father, but called the Son because he was born as a son into the earth. Yes? And the Bible says he's the firstborn of many sons and daughters. How many sons and daughters do we have out there? Okay? Jesus is the son of God 
because he took on sunly, humanly flesh. John 14, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. He wasn't asking for nothing. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And you still don't know who I am? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Why are you asking me to show him to you? Come on, say, Jesus is the word. And he came. Number two, Jesus is the lamb. And I want you to say this. He died. The word came and the lamb died. Revelation 13, 8, and all the people who belong to this world worshiped the beast. They're the ones whose names are not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb. Who was slaughtered or slain before the world was made. Say what? Jesus, the word, eternal word of God, is also the eternal lamb of God who was slain, who was in the Father's heart and plan and in eternal purposes before time even began, before we were ever even born into the world and needed to be saved. He had already died for us in eternity. Now, maybe that blows your mind like it does mine. But literally, it says the lamb who was slain from before the foundation of time. The amazing thing is he entered into time and was slain for us in our time. Oh, some of you, you'll get that in a minute. All right. See, Isaiah called it the Lord's good plan. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him, right? Slain from before the foundation of time. And then John 1, 29, the next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is God's Lamb. Jesus is, in fact, God as a Lamb. We've already established that Jesus is God, right? And see, because we couldn't pay the sacrifice for our own sins, God himself came as one of us and died as a lamb, for our, as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. He's the lamb who was slain to take away. And John said he takes away the sin of the world. He's the lamb who takes away my sin. Jesus doesn't only just forgive sin. He takes it away. Has he taken away your sins? What can wash away my sins? Not just cover them up and act like nothing happened. Oh, it happened. It happened all right. But what can wash away? Who can take away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, the lamb who was slain. He was slain from before the foundation of time. And then he entered time. He entered humanity and was slain for us. Has he taken away your sin? Romans 8.3, the law of Moses was unable to save us. Come on, say, my religion 
can't save me. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law couldn't do. Thank you, Lord. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Are you beginning to see God in a body? Why? Because it was the only way to get rid of sin. First of all, it was the only way for us to see him clearly, but it was also the only way to get rid of our sin was to come and pay the price and take our place. God's perfect sacrifice was this. He sacrificed himself. Whoa! Like if that doesn't move you, you need to cry out to God. God Almighty sacrificed himself to take our sins away. Humans being sinners could never pay a satisfactory penalty for our sin to break the power of sin. So God himself took on human flesh to himself, take the penalty upon himself and break the power of sin once and for all through himself for us. Does anybody say thank you for the cross? Thank you, Word of God, for coming. Thank you, Lamb of God, for dying in my place. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5, 19 and 21, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, but canceling them. <laughs> The almighty, perfect, righteous, holy God who could blink his eyes and obliterate all of us in a second. And we all deserve it. Instead, he loved us so much, he says, I'm going to go as one of them and take it upon myself to cancel their sin. And he was committed, he has committed to us this message of reconciliation, that is, restoration of favor with God. He made Christ, who knew no sin, to judicially be sin on our behalf so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious, loving kindness. Come on, say, Jesus is the lamb. He died. Come on, say, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for ascending back to the Father. Woo. He not only died, but he rose again and he defeated sin and then he ascended back to the Father where he has prepared a place for you and for me with the Father. Woo! He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Which leads us to, he's the Word, he's the Lamb, but oh buddy, he's the King. He is the King. He didn't just die, he rose, he ascended, and he shall return. 
Acts chapter 1, the disciples were with him. And as he was ascending back to the Father, after saying this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you staring? Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Come on, somebody. He's not going to return born of a virgin as a baby. He's going to return on the clouds of heaven as the mighty king of kings and lord of lords. The one who was resurrected and ascended back to the Father will return once again from the Father for all of those who have loved him and followed him. He is the king and he is coming. Just as you saw him ascend, you're going to see him return. Revelation 1, verses 5 through 8. And from Jesus Christ, he's the faithful witness to these things. The first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All the kings of the world, good and bad, mostly bad. He's above all of them. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us, say that's me, a kingdom of priests for God his father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look. Look. Everybody look. I want you to look. I want you to look and listen. He comes with the clouds of heaven. And everyone will see him. Even those who pierced. Even those who murdered him. Even those who thought they were doing God and humanity a service by killing him. Even they're going to see him come. All the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end. Says the Lord God, I'm the one who was, who always was, is, was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Jesus is King. Philippians 2, 6. Though he was God, Jesus did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being, say, son of God, son of man. He was born as a human, right? When he appeared in human form, wow. I mean, just think of that phrase right now. God appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Y'all, he came, he died, he rose, and he is coming again. He will come on the clouds. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the lamb. Jesus is the king. And let me tell you, he's awesome. If you can hear and read about who he is and just sort of remain complacent, listen, you are not saved. You're not saved. 
I just want to say that if you can hear about who he is and read it from his word and not be moved to awe, you are not born again. Because the children of God, our spirits, respond to that. Maybe you need to be born again. Maybe you've believed in Jesus but never burned for him. Because if you've truly seen who he is, you will live your life in awe of him and burn for him. You say, maybe I used to burn for him, but not anymore. You need to get resaved. Is that a thing? Yes. Just to conclude this today, I want to read the next paragraph of Mark chapter 6. I have a question for you. What happens when people, like when disciples, actually do live their lives in awe of Jesus? It's not going to be like Nazareth. Oh, it's not going to be like Nazareth. What happens when disciples, when believers actually live like this in awe of King Jesus? Come on, somebody. The 12, they were different than the people in Nazareth, right? The disciples were different. Let's start, uh, we read 1 through 6, now verse 7. And he called the 12 disciples and began to send them out as special messengers. Two by two. Gave them the authority and the power over unclean spirits. He told them to take nothing for the journey except for a mere walking stick. No bread, no traveler's bag, no money in their belts, but... But to wear sandals, <laughs> need to wear sandals because it's hot sand. And he told them, don't even wear two tunics. Wherever you go into a house, stay there until you leave that town. Any place that doesn't welcome you or listen to you, when you leave there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet as a testimony against them breaking all ties with them because they rejected my message. So they went out and preached that men should repent. That is, thinking differently, recognize sin, and turn away from it, and live changed lives. And they were casting out many demons and anointing many, anointing with oil many who were sick and healing them. What happens when disciples live in awe of Jesus? My friends, they multiply. If there's one thing that's going to make me and you Multiply more disciples of Jesus is to live my life in awe of who he is. Familiarity breeds contempt, but awe breeds multiplication. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the lamb. Jesus is the king. And I want to ask for the next few minutes, please, no one get up and down and go in and out. All right? Please. I want reverent respect right now for the presence of God. Help me for that door not to be opening and closing throughout the altar call. Thank you. The question is, is he your king? Is he your lamb has he taken away your sins are you burning for Jesus 
everyone wouldn't mind, just shut your eyes for a moment. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through Christ, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Consider Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. I want to say that again. Consider Jesus. Come to Jesus. Or maybe you need to come back to Jesus. Have you been born again? Have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you been reconciled with God? Do you have peace with God? Repent. Confess Jesus as your Lord. He loves you. He's calling you. Call on Jesus. He will take your sins away. He will remove them. He will set you free from the tyranny of sin and the devil. He will make you a free person. He will turn you into a daughter or a son. Backslider, listen to me. Because I know there are some. Maybe you used to burn for Jesus, but now you just kind of believe in Him. That's not going to cut it. Listen, in this day and age, that's not going to cut it. If all you do is believe, very soon you won't even believe anymore. We must burn for the one who is the Word, who is the Lamb, and who is the King. I feel so strongly today. Some of you don't even realize you're backslidden and you're backslidden in your hearts. You've stopped living your life amazed at who He is and you just kind of became familiar. In your belief of Jesus. And as we begin to sing this song, I want to invite you to just come to the altar. If you've never been born again, listen. All you got to do is call on the name of the Lord. You'll be saved. Turn away from your sin. Call on Jesus. He'll save you. If you've been backslidden, or if you're simply saying, whoa, I need to respond. I am convicted today, and I need to respond. I need to get my fire for Jesus back. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through His Word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.